Jesus is risen. He is risen risen indeed. Amen. Amen. It's a joy to be gathered here with my family and friends. Uh, Again, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, It's a a joy to to be able to worship our risen Savior together this afternoon. If you need a Bible, uh, let us know. Uh, We have some in the back. So if you just raise your hand, if you need a Bible, uh, my wife will get one. You need one, LJ, we'll get one for you. All right. Anyone else need a Bible? All right, we're good. Well, with today being Resurrection Sunday, sometimes people say or feel like the resurrection can seem lofty. It can seem something that's big and out there. Or that it's distant from reality. Like it's the resurrection. How does this apply to me today? How does this apply to me in my everyday life, my struggles, they'd be like, I, I know or I think it happened some time ago, a long time ago, but how is this relevant for me today? How is the resurrection relevant for me today? But what I want to do in our time together, by God's grace, I want to show us, show you five reasons why the resurrection is important why it is relevant for us today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. It's in the New Testament. So if you take your Bible and turn to the New Testament, you see the first book, which is Matthew, and then you turn some pages after that, you'll get to 1 Corinthians. When I say 1 Corinthians 15... The chapter number is the big number, and then the small number will be the verses that we'll walk through. Verse 15, 15, so 15, verse 1. We're going to start at verse 1. So as you turn there, let me, let me offer another prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this time that we are here to worship you. Uh, it's all about you. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would be glorify that you would be lifted high through the preached word. God, I pray that you would increase and that I would decrease. And I pray, God, that we all here this afternoon, whether we are Christians or aren't following Jesus, that we would all be in awe of you and what you have done, that you would capture our hearts in fresh ways, and that we would turn from our sin, turn to you, and continue to believe upon you as our only hope. God, help us to see Jesus rightly in all his splendor and majesty and amazingness this afternoon, I pray. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you're taking notes, Here is reason number one. If you're taking notes, reason number one is is this. The resurrection is true. The resurrection is true. So that's reason number one. And and family and friends, this is the best news that any of us could ever hear. That any of us could ever hear. And this news is the gospel. And that word gospel means good news. This good news starts with God. In that God created the heavens and the earth. He created 
All the trees, the mountains, the animals. He created everything we know and what we see. And he created you and me in his image after his likeness. But we are fallen. So we know that our first parents, they, they fell into sin. They disobeyed God. And because of their disobedience, every human being that has been born since then has inherited their sin. And we've also inherited, sadly, their judgment. And that judgment was that they were kicked out of God's presence. And every human being since then, till now and will, has always been trying to figure out how do we get back to God? How do we get back to God? And there's no means within ourselves that can get us back to God. And because he's judging us or will judge us in our sin, if we don't turn to Jesus, he will cast us away from his presence for all of eternity. And that is in hell. Meaning that we will never have an opportunity to respond to the love of God in Christ Jesus. In our sin. So that's the bad news. But the good news is that God didn't leave us there. He could have. He would have been righteous and just to do so. But in his love, he sends his son Jesus. We were celebrating about this weekend. He sends his son Jesus to, to come live a perfect, sinless life. So Jesus, where the first Adam disobeyed the new Adam, Jesus, didn't disobey. He obeyed God completely and rightly and perfectly. But he was treated as a criminal. He was sent to the cross where he died. He died on the cross. It was an excruciating death, a painful death, the worst kinds of death in all of history that any man could ever go through. Jesus took that for you and for me. He dies and he's buried in a grave. But the grave couldn't hold him. He defeated the grave. He defeated death. He defeated all of our enemies. He conquered them and he rose from the dead on the third day, offering salvation to all who would turn from their sin, turn from the things that God hates, and turn to him by faith, by belief, by trust. So if you're here and you are not a Christian, we want to invite you to become one. That you, wherever you are in your walk of life, are not far away from the reach of God. That God has come from heaven in the Lord Jesus to reach you, to reach us. Come on, brother. His hand is stretched out wide for you. His love is unending for you. He sent his son, Jesus, as a demonstration of his love for you to die. And so we implore you this afternoon, turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus by faith. This is the good news that we want to offer to you. If you would like to learn more about that, talk to me after the service, talk to any of the worship leaders, those serving on AV, we would love to talk with you further as to how you may start your journey with God. And this is the content for which 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. This is the content 
of Paul's writing to the church at Corinth here in 1 Corinthians 15. So let's dig in it a bit. Look with me at verses 1 through 2. It says here, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. First off, he reminds them of the gospel, probably because they had forgotten it, right? Or had lost focus on the main thing, which is the gospel, right? How many times do we, as Christians, forget the gospel, right? We forget the gospel in our daily walks when we are battling with sin. Instead of running to Jesus, we run away from Jesus. When the gospel is the the bridge that bridges the gap and gives us that relationship with Christ that we keep coming back to and are able to come to and come to him with open arms. How many times do we forget the gospel in our focus as a church? Right? We are always thinking about different strategies or evangelistic strategies or different things along those lines in our church. No, the gospel is the strategy. The gospel is the strategy. That's what the gospel is and what the gospel is for. But the gospel saves us and then calls us to share with others so that they might be saved. That's the strategy. Come on, brother. That's what we've been all called to. It's just like how Pastor John Piper tells us, we never outgrow our need for the gospel. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you always need the gospel. And you will continue to need the gospel. So we never outgrow our need for the gospel. This gospel is what Paul reminds them that he preached to them. You see that in the text? So he he preached this gospel to them. So this is a message that is to be heralded, right? It is a message that is to be proclaimed. It is a message that is to be preached, to be shared, right? And it's a message that must be received, as it says here of the saints at Corinth. It's a message that is to be received. It's just like Patrick Mahomes, right? If he is passing the football to a wide receiver running a route, right? He's, he's passing the ball in hopes that it will be received, Come on, bro. in hopes that it will be caught. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that. In the same way, the gospel is passed along verbally in hopes that the listener will hear it, on, in hopes that the listener will receive it, right? It's also a message that we must stand on. You see that in the text, right? Some message that we are to stand on is it's solid ground. It is a firm foundation. Anything else will sink like quicksand or it will crumble, right? It's no other message that we can stand on, that we can bank our lives on, our hopes on, but the gospel. Every other message will fall. Every other message will fail. And it's a message that saves and continues saving, right? We see that in the text, right? So what does that mean? This is what the Bible calls the, the already but not yet kind of reality, right? That, that if you are a Christian this afternoon, you have already been saved. 
That's true. You have already been saved. If you put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you've already been saved, right? That's, that's past tense. But you are also being saved. I am also being saved, present tense, right? In the sense that we are not in heaven yet. We are heading in that direction, right? This is what 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5 gets at. Uh, Peter says here, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You hear that already but not yet language there? You are born again. This is an inheritance that is already yours, Christian, but it is being kept in heaven for you. This is a salvation that you already possess, Christian, but it's going to be revealed on that last day fully, completely, right? So Christians are born again to a living hope, not a dead hope, a living hope, but that living hope won't be fully realized until we're with Jesus. That's the idea here. That already but not yet reality, right? Continuing on, Paul then shares some compelling facts about this gospel starting in verse 3, right? Look there with me, continuing on in 1 Corinthians 15. He says here, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. First off, what we see here in this passage is that the gospel is of first importance. The gospel is of first importance. Again, there's no other message that's of most importance than the gospel. Nothing else that you could be sharing or could be hearing greater than the gospel. And Paul says, this is the message that I delivered to the Corinthians, right, of first importance. So he delivered it to the Corinthians as first importance as he received it as first importance. Right? That's what he's saying there. This message is this, again, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried in the grave, and that he was resurrected on the third day. This is the message he's talking about in the gospel. And this is what I want to show you. I want to show you that this is true on three levels. Right? This is true on three levels. Number one, historically. Number one, this is historical facts. Right? Jesus really died, which affirms that he really lived. He is a real person that existed in history. History affirms that Jesus really existed. 
I mean, think about it. Our calendars were literally created and based on his coming, right? He died for our sins and was buried in a grave, but the grave couldn't hold him. He was raised from the dead on the third day, and this is what we see and find in the Gospels. You might say that the Gospels are an autobiography of Jesus and his work, right? All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, telling us about Jesus' life, his death, burial, and resurrection. Liz read the account from the Gospel of Luke. Listen to Matthew's account in chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. It says this, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And he came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So, so this really happened. Jesus' body is nowhere to be found because he got up from the grave, because he rose from the dead. This is, this is true from a historical standpoint. So historical facts, this is also true from the Bible. So biblical facts, right? We also know this because he did all of this in accordance with the scriptures. We see that in the Gospel of Matthew that I just read, the Gospel of Luke that Sister Liz read. But you see that also mentioned in 1 Corinthians. You see that mentioned twice there at the end of verse 3 and verse 4, right? What does it say? It says that he did it according to the scriptures, did it according to the scriptures. So Christians believe that the scriptures are God's true word, inspired by God and revealed through him. This is what Christians believe. So Jesus is living, his dying, and his rising from the dead is a fulfillment of scripture, right? He's the seed of the woman promised in Genesis 3.15 that will crush the serpent's head. He'll get a bruise on his heel, but he's gonna crush the serpent's head. He's the fulfillment of Psalm 22, where we read there in the Psalm that, that the son is forsaken by the father on the cross. He's the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, where we learn about the gruesome death in detail as to Jesus, as to what he would experience on the cross. Jesus, 
over and over in the Gospels, tells the disciples that he would be betrayed, killed, and that he would rise from the dead. This is Jesus telling the disciples this. So we see this mentioned three times alone in Mark's Gospel. So Mark 8, 31 through 32, if you want to write that down. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32. Mark chapter 10, 32 through 34. So we see that, that Jesus' work is in fulfillment of the Bible. That this was something that was prophesied in the Old Testament and that Jesus fulfilled it in the New Testament. Right? So it's historical facts, biblical facts, and now eyewitness. Eyewitnesses, right? So not only do we have these proofs and affirmations historically and biblical, we have people who actually saw this. Yeah, eyewitnesses. So Mary Magdalene and the other Mary saw Jesus, as mentioned in Matthew 28. But then if you look at verses 5 through 9 in 1 Corinthians 15 again, you'll see that others also witnesses. What does it say? It says, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. What we see here is that Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers, to James, and to the rest of the apostles, and to Paul. They saw him alive and well. It's hard to deny what all of these eyewitnesses saw, that Jesus is indeed alive. So history, the Bible, and eyewitnesses prove Jesus' existence and verify his work on the cross. I love how the rapper Shylin puts it on one of the parts of his courses of this track, uh, Jesus is Alive. If you haven't heard that, I would encourage you to check it out. So Shylin, uh, Jesus is Alive, is in his album, The Atonement. But here's what he says. He says, he says, Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Gandhi and Haile Selassie are dead. Elijah Muhammad is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Come on, <laughs> So this is... This is what he says. So, so my non-Christian friend here this afternoon, based on these facts, what's keeping you from trusting Jesus today? Historically, biblically, eyewitnesses saw him. What's keeping you from trusting in Jesus today? Turn to him today. He was who he said he was, and he did as he said he would. And to add, family, to add to the facts, personally, for 2,000 years or more, boys and girls, men and women have been transformed. They have been changed by this Jesus, including those of us in this room. 
and many, many more who will turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. They have seen him because he's revealed himself to them through the good news of the gospel. Amen. Amen. So you can add that as well personally to the facts that we in here as Christians are testifying to the fact that Jesus is alive because he's alive in us. And he can be alive in you if you would turn from your sin. Don't harden your heart today. May today be the day of salvation for you. It can be. Trust in him. Believe in him and be forever changed by this glorious Jesus. That's number one. The resurrection is true. Number two, reason number two, if the resurrection wasn't true, all would be vanity. All would be vanity. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 18 with me. Here's what it reads. It says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So apparently, in this passage, there's some speculation as to if there's a resurrection from the dead. We're not sure if this is similar speculation like the Sadducees or a religious group, the Sadducees in Jesus' day, uh, who didn't believe in the resurrection. This seems to be amongst the church seems to be amongst the saints at the church at Corinth. Paul's response in verse 13 is like, if there is no resurrection, first off, then Jesus himself hasn't been raised. So if you're saying that Jesus, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus himself hasn't been raised. The very gospel that you received, Corinthian church, has no viability if Jesus wasn't raised. This is what Paul is basically saying. He's like, yo, yo, if, 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 if you don't believe there's a resurrection from the dead, then the very gospel that I preach to you, that you receive by what you stand on, has no viability. Not only that, in verse 14, Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then his and the other apostles' preaching is in vain. It's in vain. And that their faith, the Corinthians, their faith is in vain. He's basically saying none of it will be worth it. None of it will be worth it. There's no point in preaching about a promised savior who said he would defeat death, but instead death defeated him. There's no point in preaching that. 
if he isn't raised from the dead. There's no point in preaching a Jesus who caught an L. He caught an L. There's no, there's no reason in preaching that Jesus. There's no point in believing in Jesus if he didn't actually get up from the grave. Come on, brother. There's no point in preaching that. And your faith is in vain. Your belief is in vain. There's no point in believing in a Jesus who didn't actually get up from the grave. That's what Paul is saying. Not only that, Paul then says in verses 15 through 16, that if the resurrection isn't true, then they've all been lying. They've been bearing false witness. They've been misrepresenting God. They've been giving fake news. This is what he's saying. Paul then double clicks on this, all this vanity again in verses 17 through 19. Look there with me. This is what he says again. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He says, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. That word futile means pointless or incapable of producing any results. That's what that word means. And not only is it futile, you are still in your sins. You see, the resurrection has big implications for our sin family. Has big implications, has, has, has great meaning for our sin. Jesus living, dying, and being buried wouldn't matter if he didn't rise from the dead. It would not matter if he didn't get up from the grave. If he didn't rise from the dead, you and me, family, would be still in chains to our sin, still in bondage to our sin. No freedom. The power of sin wouldn't be broken in our lives. There wouldn't be no freedom from sin. Do you catch this? Do you hear this? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Jesus sacrificed his life for our sins. And catch this. The resurrection was the proof that the sacrifice had been accepted by God. And that it actually worked. That it actually worked. That it actually accomplished the salvation that we all so desperately needed. Come on, brother. This is what the resurrection proves. That he indeed conquered death. That he indeed conquered sin. That he indeed defeated Satan. And offers us a new life in him. If he didn't get up, that new life wouldn't be possible. And not only that, but there were also there wouldn't be any hope for Christians who have fallen asleep. That's the way the Bible refers to Christians who have passed away. They've fallen asleep. And that there would be no hope for us. That's what verses 18 through 19 tell us. But praise be to God that the resurrection is true. And that there is hope for us. In that, as we move on to reason number three, we will be raised in Christ. 
This is reason number three. We will be raised in Christ. Look at verses 20 through 23 with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. First off, look at verse 20. Paul states in verse 20 this claim of the resurrection as a matter of fact. Right? Look at the verses before that, verses starting in verse 12. That's all speculation. Right? They're like, oh, is there really a resurrection from the dead? If it isn't, here are the implications of that. Paul here in verse 20 says, as a matter of fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So again, this actually happened, and we have the proof, and there's hope for Christians who have passed away and for us today. In Adam, we all die, but in Jesus, we are all made alive. For the Christians, this is the good news. We live twice, in this life and the life to come. Come on, brother. This is good news. This is the hope we have as Christians, family, that this life is not all there is. Praise God. Yeah. This life is not all there is. There is a better life to come. One where we'll be with Jesus forever in his presence, worshiping him. We will all be caught up in the sky on the day of the Lord. Those who have gone before us first, who have fallen asleep, then us. Paul puts it another way in 1 Thessalonians 4. Starting at verse 13, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18 is sweet. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. This is good news, family. This is hopeful news, family. This is the hope we have in the resurrection. And it's this hope that grants me hope in my grief. As most of you know, my dad went to be with Jesus in December 2022. And my mom went to be with Jesus in January of 2001. And I miss them bad. But I know I will see them again. Why? Because the promise here is that they will be raised. 
they will be raised. And for you, if you're grieving the loss of a loved one who knew the Lord, this is the same hope that Jesus gives to you and to them. They will be raised. Death was not the end. Most importantly, they, we, will all see Jesus and we'll be worshiping him around the throne. Be encouraged, saints, in your grief. Be encouraged in this hard life. This life is not all there is. There's a better life. There's a life to come. There's hope at the end of the tunnel. There's light at the end of the tunnel, family. We will be with Christ, with him. That's someone that already said, that, that promise in Revelation that he will wipe away every tear. Sin will be no more. Death will be no more. There will be no more pain, no more suffering. This is the hope we have as Christians. This is where we are headed. This is where history is headed. To the day of the Lord. Reason number four. We will get new bodies. We will get new bodies. Look at the passage. Still in 1 Corinthians 15. Starting at verse 42. Again, just to kind of summarize some of this. Paul is answering the questions of some who ask. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? His response, you foolish person. <laughs> he rebukes them. That's what he says there. He says, you foolish person. He, he rebukes them. Then he gives an analogy of a seed that's planted in the ground. Well, if you think about it, well, in order for that seed to blossom into a life-giving plant, it must die. Right? You think about any plant, you know what I mean? You, you're seeking to plant, you know what I mean, a flower, plant the seed. That seed will die. The, the flower seed, the flower, the seed that you put in the ground, is, it doesn't look like the end result of what it's going to become. Right? You plant a seed, it dies. Then it grows, it blossoms into this beautiful flower. This is what Paul says is the same with the resurrection from the dead. Look at verse 46. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In short, we're going to get new bodies. These will be glorified bodies. 
Paul puts it another way in Romans 8. I love this. After talking about the creation itself, that's looking forward to being made new, he says that our bodies are also longing for this reality. It says here in Romans 8, he says, verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. This is also what he continues to delve into in the verses after. Look at verses 50 to 53 with me. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. That should excite you, Christian. Gives me goosebumps just reading it. This is hope for us all. Our bodies are broken, beat down, and battered. For those of us who have experienced sickness, I'm thinking from the babies of our congregation, thinking about baby Grace, to the seasoned saints, the new bodies won't be plagued by sickness. There will be no disease in these new bodies. There will be no mental health struggles in these bodies. There will be no aches. There will be no pains. There will be no cancer, no high blood pressure, no diabetes, no anything in these new, glorified, imperishable, immortality-type bodies. Does that not excite you? Our bodies will be imperishable and immortal and most importantly will be in the presence of our God. This is coming. This is coming. This is where we're headed. This is hope for tomorrow. This is hope to get you out of the bed tomorrow. That we are heading towards this day. Be encouraged and keep holding on to the promises of God. That one day you will be with him. That we will be with him. That we will be in his presence. And that all of the things that we experience in this life with our bodies. Be glorified in heaven. Glorified in heaven. Amen, brother. Here's the last reason. We are victorious. We are victorious. Look at verses 54 through 57 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin 
is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' perfect work, he has proved to be victorious over all our enemies. And for anyone in him, we all share in his victory. We are victorious in him. It's like, it's like Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. Uh, he, he carried that team, right? He carried that team uh, in the finals last year, right? And for those who never even took off their warm-up jersey, for those who never stepped a foot in the game, they still got a ring. They still became champions. They still shared in his victory. And it's the same with us. We didn't beat sin. We didn't beat death. We didn't conquer the grave. But Jesus did for us. And anyone who's in Jesus has conquered the grave. Anyone who's in Jesus has conquered sin. Anyone who's in Jesus is in him and we are victorious. We are victorious through Christ. We will put on the imperishable and immortality, which means we will not die or experience the effects of sin and death. This victory is a future reality. It is something we are heading towards. But I want you to know that this reality is also true of us now. It's true of us now. Right now, Christian, you have victory in Jesus. Let me show you this from a few places in Scripture, and then we'll close. 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus bore our sin. He bore our guilt. He bore our shame in his body on the tree. That you, Christian, me, Christian, would die to sin and live to righteousness. That's victory. That's victory in Christ. That what Christ has accomplished for us by defeating sin, we can experience victory in our day-to-day walks. That you don't have to give in to sin. Not in and of your own self, not in and of your own strength, but in the strength that Christ has won for you. In the strength that Christ provides for you. You can fight sin because you've died to sin and you are now living to righteousness. Another verse. After Paul gives a list of things that will never separate us from God's love, he says this here in Romans 8, 37. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you catch that? That there's nothing, Christian, that can separate you from the love of Jesus? He gives an extensive list. Nothing. 
can separate you from his love. And not only that, you are more than conquerors through him who loved you. That's good news. That we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to Romans 6.22. It says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. You hear that language? That you, Christian, me, Christian, you have been set free from sin. That at one point you were slaves to sin. I was a slave to sin, following after the passions of the world. But now as a Christian, I'm a slave to God. I'm a slave to righteousness. Christian, you are a slave to righteousness. And what does that get you? Well, it gets you eternal life. The end of this is eternal life. This is hope for us all, Christians. Struggling with sin this afternoon. Your sin, I want you to hear this, that your sin does not have the last say. Based on these verses in the Bible, your sin does not have the last say. The effects of your sin don't have the last word anymore. You don't have the last word. You have the power in Christ not to give in to sin because you are no longer a slave to it. You are now a slave to God, as I already mentioned. You also are not bound by the guilt and shame that sin brings when you commit acts of sin. This is the life as a Christian. This is the freedom that Jesus won for us. Now, I know we all still struggle with sin. Come on, brother. I know we all still battle with sin on, on different levels. But the good news that we have and this promise that we have in God's word in 1 John 1, 9 tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to also what? Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This has only been won by the cross. This has only been won by the resurrection that you Christian, me Christian, anyone who becomes a Christian can live into this promise, this reality. Not only that, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, which means he's our substitute for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, so John there is like, he's not encouraging us to go sin. But if we do sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus, who represents us before him as our substitute, as our sacrifice. And that we can not run, we don't have to run from Jesus, we can run to Jesus. Because he has already done the work for you. 
and you continue to receive his love, continue to receive his forgiveness, and continue to receive his power as you fight the battle of sin and receive his forgiveness. This is the promise that's only been granted through the resurrection, through the gospel. It wouldn't be possible. It would not be possible had Jesus not lived, died, and rose from the dead. And lastly, as we come to a close, Paul ends with giving us hope in light of the resurrection. Gives us hope in light of the resurrection for our work ahead, in the days ahead, and weeks ahead. Here's what he says. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is in vain. As I come to a close, worship team, you can come on back up. As I come to a close, just want to end with this as the hope that Paul ends with here in this chapter to end with us as we think about the, how relevant the resurrection is for us today. Because the resurrection is true, we can labor for the Lord knowing that our work is not in vain. Do you hear that? Do you see that? That what was speculation earlier in the book, thinking about the resurrection, Indeed, it's fact that the resurrection has indeed happened. And because the resurrection has happened, for those of us who are working in resurrection power, that our labor is not in vain. That our work here, CHCC, as just a two-year-old church here and outside of our church, our labors are not in vain because of the resurrection. Because the resurrection proved, shows, demonstrates that what Jesus did on the cross satisfied the wrath of God. And then it also provided a way of an escape for all of us who would turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. And that as we go and tell that old story on the block. As we go and tell that in our homes, as we go and tell that in our workplaces, as we go and tell this good news everywhere we go, that your labor will not be in vain. Amen, brother. That God will be mighty to save because he can save. And that this salvation is only possible through Christ and what he has accomplished. And so family, as we leave from here, may this encourage us in this work here in Congress Heights and to the nations and wherever we may go that our labors when it's hard when it's challenging when things are happening in our body sicknesses illnesses death the whole gambit your labors our labors are not in vain. Be encouraged. These are the reasons as to why the resurrection is relevant for us to.
day. It is relevant, it is important, and it is necessary for all of us today. So again, non-Christian, it's relevant for you. Receive Christ today and be granted this resurrection hope in Christ. Let me pray. God, I thank you again uh, just for this afternoon. I thank you, oh God, for the resurrection. I thank you, oh God, that the reality and the reason why we're gathered here today is because Jesus got up. Had he not gotten up from the grave, we would not be gathered here today. We would not be celebrating today. We would all still be dead in our sins, and there would be no hope for any of us. But thank you, Jesus. Thank you that that is not the case. That, Jesus, you indeed came, you lived, you died, you rose from the dead, offering true life, true hope for all who would turn to you. So, God, I pray just with a prayer of gratitude that that is true of us here in this church and that it can be true of some who are in here who may not have trusted you. God, I pray that you would soften their hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would give them a heart of flesh, remove the heart of stone, that you would put your spirit in them and cause them to walk in your ways and that they would live their lives in complete and total devotion to you, trusting in what you've done alone and telling others of this glorious good news. We thank you, Jesus, that you got up from the grave. Yes. May we sing now in honor and worship unto you, in joy unto you, and hope because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Just stand with us as we.